Hello, everybody, and welcome to Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast in which myself and my cohorts are going through every episode one by one of all 14. Is that right? 14 episodes? 14 episodes. Isn't the, isn't the 15 plus the movie. With the pilot? Yeah. So this this obviously this venture will take us several years to get through. But <laughs> seeing we're, as we like each other so much, it's not a problem. We're we're just biding our time for the Game of Thrones podcast and the Magnum podcast and the Rockford Files podcast and Scarecrow whatever. Mrs. King. Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Babylon Five. Yeah. Adventures of Wait. the Monkey. What is it? Adventures of the Blue Monkey. Or yeah. Something? Tales of the Gold. Yeah. Tales of the Golden Monkey. Monkey. Oh, and, and can we do bring them back alive as well? <laughs> Might as well. Might as well. Just just throw it all on there. Anyway, I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Sean Angle. Hello, everyone. Mr. Andy Leyland. Hello. And we have with us today, once again, Bookless Bill. No, I'm Reaver Robinson. Reaver Robinson. <laughs> oh, I don't want to see you with weird hellraiser <laughs> razor yeah. blades sticking out of your face and eyeballs and crap please don't do that <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway we're here today to do the third episode of firefly bushwhacked but before we get into bushwhacked dr bill did you have something you wanted to tell everybody yeah uh last time we didn't really have any news but i know that there's been i've i've seen um rumblings and possibilities of them doing a um firefly online game um maybe i'll explore that more on um uh yeah that other podcast i do that i can't think of because i'm too tired right now anime freaks no 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 oh no consoles for old men no no consoles for old men yeah that's the old men thing in there yeah (laughs) now do you know uh how this how the, is this going to be an MMO or how I believe it, it be? is going to be a, a a MMO what's what's MMO um massive multi, massive multiplayer online um, like uh, World of Warcraft and Star Wars Star Trek Star Trek online or yeah um, I know nothing about these things I am old if, in every sense of the if word. I'm around for next time I'll uh I'll next I'll, time I'll, I'll <laughs> I'll dig in to try to get some more some more details. But I did have another little trivia thing. Did you guys talk about the opening uh, – the song for the title sequence? No. On your I first... think we've actually had a, a conversation about it now. Oh, for some reason, when it first came out uh, – let me see. I think the Buffy musical episode had come out a little bit before or a little bit after – or maybe right at the same time. I'm not exactly sure. So but, it kids. So Bill, basically, you're saying it could have come out anywhere. <laughs> shut up. Around. I think that Buffy musical may have come after. out at some point. Look, Way don't, look, in, Angle. In don't make me sacrifice dimension. you. All right. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> because you'll See, jump up and do it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, they better because, have listened to last week's episode, or they're not going to know what you're talking about. Because I, because I'm not a, because I'm not a filthy, self-centered millennial. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that the guy that sang this song, the the title song, was the same guy that played the demon Sweet in Once More with Feeling, the Buffy musical. I was wrong. It's a different person. But Andy, are you're I know you're a Buffy fan, so you've seen Once More with Feeling, correct? Uh, yes. 
Okay. Now, the demon, uh, the singing demon, Sweet, he yeah. is played by Hinton Battle. That's Hint- the guy? Yes. He played Thames, the evil observer, in Quantum Leap. Did he? Yes. Awesome. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's fantastic. I didn't remember him in Quantum Leap. So did the de- did the demon Sweet bring a ballroom blitz to the show? He brought the fun in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Crickets. He did. Sorry. <laughs> and apparently the same actor, uh, he played the role of the cat in the first U.S. pilot for um, Red Dwarf. Which Jadzia Dax was also in, wasn't she? Really? I didn't know that. Oh, wow. oh, was she in the second pilot for the American version of Red Dwarf? I have to go dig that they up. They did two pilots for that, and neither one of them flew. Wow. <laughs> well, wow. What did they show it on? I don't what? think they ever did. Oh, wow. That bad. Oh, well, you just can't beat the cat in the in in the British one. I'm sorry. I can't remember. I'm his name, going but to eat he's... your little fishes. Um. <laughs> anyway, that's that's all I had. I, I've, I've I've taken us way off tangent. Take it away, fellas. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm, I've never been. Uh... You know, ever since they, they upgraded beyond Pong, I'm probably, you know, they left me in the dust on these video games, so I can't really comment to speak of on MMOs, but uh, hopefully it's a good game for, for all you young folk out there with your internet and your Facebooks. Yeah, MMOs. It's not a game for cows, Paul. Mamoos. Mamoos. <laughs> He's the guy who's going to be playing Aquaman. Yeah. Oh, all so right. That's, that's, that's very good. That's uh, mimosa, okay. right? All right, no, nothing. Just to... it's, it's what you have. What's what you have at brunch? It's, mimosa. It's what, it's what you don't dinner, want a bloody Mary or, or breakfast or you know. It's what I need to have right I now. I personally like the poor man's mimosa, which is Mountain Dew and uh, <laughs> and orange juice. That's what I call the poor man's mimosa because I can afford champagne. Preferably piss warm. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't like the piss warm with a mimosa. I like. The poor man's mimosa has to have cold Mountain Dew and cold orange juice. Orange juice. It's good that you've become such a discerning person that you know you've you've, you've just set your standards so high. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so, we're listen, Giada De Laurentiis or whoever is not listing this. So let's do the synopsis. All right. We are here once again to do Bushwhacked season one, season only. Uh, episode number three, it originally aired on September 27th, 2002, and it has, it features guest actors Doug Savant as Commander Harkin and Brandon Morgan as the survivor. And the story is that Serenity encounters a drifting spacecraft, which turns out to be a short-range scow converted to a settler transport to the outer planets. Mal decides to check out the derelict in order to either help survivors or loot the dead. He sends his crew off in teams to explore the ship, while he and Zoe head to a section that he suspects holds the more valuable supplies. They arrive in a room, followed shortly by River, who points out mutilated passengers hanging from the ceiling. Mal knows what did this and orders everyone to regroup in the engine room, but en route, Jane is hit from behind by an unseen attacker, whom Jane shoots blindly four times. Mal finds the wounded man hiding behind an air grate, and they bring him back to the ship. 
As Simon treats the wounded man, Mal announces that he must be the lone survivor of a Reaver attack. He explains how the Reavers were driven insane after seeing the nothing at the edge of the galaxy, and now commit unspeakable acts of evil. He allows Shepard, Book, and Simon to cut down the victims and give them a modest ceremony. Keeping them out of the way while Kaylee removes a Reaver booby trap that attached itself to Serenity when they docked earlier. Once the derelict's cargo is aboard, Serenity moves to leave, only to be stopped by an Alliance cruiser. The feds board the ship and find Mal and everyone but River and Simon, innocently awaiting them. The retrieved cargo plain in sight to avoid accusations of theft. Alliance Commander Harkin accuses them of harboring two fugitives and detains them for questioning. Commander Harkin interviews each member of the crew whilst the Alliance tends to the survivor and search Serenity for River and Simon. While the interviews proceed, they are shown ransacking Serenity, where just outside its window, the space-suited Tams cling to the ship's hull. Interviewing Mal, Commander Harkin accuses him of attacking the settler ship, revealing that the survivor's tongue has been split and implying that Mal had tortured him. Mal, however, realizes that the survivor is becoming a Reaver, having been so traumatized by his confrontation with them. Harkin treats Mal's idea as poetic nonsense designed to help Mal elude prison. During this interview, Harkin comments that it was unusual that Mal's ship should be named after the rebel loss at the Battle of Serenity Valley. As Harkin prepares to confine Mal for future prosecution, his lieutenant informs him that the survivor has killed the medical personnel attending to him and is loose on the ship. Mal convinces Harkin that he knows where the madman will go. Harkin allows Mal to lead him and the soldiers back onto Serenity. The survivor attacks the soldiers, but Mal is able to kill the Reaver, saving Harkin. In return for this action, Harkin allows the crew of Serenity to proceed on their way unharmed, though he still confiscates the, their cargo. After Serenity undocks, the cruiser is seen destroying the derelict. The end. <clears throat> Don't fear the Reaver. <laughs> I think that, that might be the, uh, the title the of the show. I had some mixed feelings on this one. As you, got, as you gentlemen are aware, uh, I kind of delayed my watching of this one. And uh, I put myself a little bit between a rock and a hard place because I don't like to watch too long before we do the episode because then I feel it's not fresh in my mind. On the other hand, last night as I was getting ready to watch it, I came to the realization that the New York Mets were playing the New York Yankees and I was not going to skip that game. So I had to wait until that game was over and everything settled down at home and then I put it on. So I watched it a little more tired than I think I should have. So my attention span wasn't quite what it should have been. Um, that said, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was good. I thought it set up the Reavers as a definite threat. Uh, I wasn't sure I really accepted the explanation for what kind of converted them. Uh, in, in my mind, I keep picturing them as the uh, – what, what, what's that, that annoying dirty race from Voyager? Oh, the Kazon? Yeah, I keep picturing the Kazon, and, and I think that's doing them a disservice. But but that's what keeps coming in my mind for the Reavers. So uh, I have to eliminate that reference because I think, again, I think I'm doing it a disservice. But overall, I thought this would have been a very good episode if I didn't have the foreknowledge that the show was going to be over before it gets a chance to really get running. 
and create a, a recurring threat, you know, basically Klingons for a new millennium uh, that, that, you know, would be a true threat to them throughout this series. And I'm, I'm, I would imagine we will see them as a threat throughout what little is left to the series. But having that foreknowledge that the show is going to be canceled really just puts a dimmer on it because I feel like they're never going to get developed the way they should. If that makes sense. Yeah. So overall, I enjoyed the episode, but I just, there was, you know, I was a little tired, so that took away a little bit. And I was just, again, a little bit melancholy just on the thought that there's such real potential there that I feel like it's never going to get reached. See, myself having seen the series and having seen the movie, I know where they're going with the Reavers and what has caused them to essentially become who they are. So, you know, I, I, I like the sort of setup and the uh, concept of them and how they're sort of placing them bits and pieces through this episode and through the initial pilot serenity. I really enjoyed this episode probably a lot more than uh, I don't, I don't think I enjoyed it more than the pilot serenity, but I am a sucker for horror episodes. I'm a sucker for horror movies. And I think this is, a it's, really it's, good. Sean, Sean, it's pronounced Hua. No, no, that's that's another thing that I really enjoy, but I can't tell my wife about that, um, because I don't do that because that's wrong. Uh, but you know, this has elements of Alien. It has elements of like Event Horizon. It has elements of Hellraiser in it. Oh, no, don't got... don't remind me of Event Horizon. Oh, oh sorry. Did Event Horizon? bother you raped his child yes you know why because i'm sitting in the movie theater watching the movie and sam's neil's character's name is bill <laughs> and i swear to god there was a scene when like his dead wife come bill and i'm in the th- theater <laughs> oh, oh, oh oh god um, that, that movie gives me the willies well and uh, rightfully so it, it was bill a- the willies <laughs> Oh, I see what you did there. It's a play on his. Okay. But it's, I, I, like I said, a horror episode of a sci-fi genre show. I'm completely into it. Uh, the way that they're playing up the malevolence of the Reavers is really good. They're just hinting at it. We've gotten back to the subtlety that we had in the initial pilot. Um, thing characters are being developed a bit more once again i'm going to point to the character of jane who's all like you know gung-ho all about this but when he finds out that the the ship was attacked by reavers he's like no way we're getting out of here you know uh i I don't want to have anything to do with dead bodies you know nothing about this so like i said a, a horror episode horror genre uh, attaching on those sort of ideas like Hellraiser and aliens and everything like this. They do it really well here. And this is an episode that I, I really got behind, you know, knowing where they go, uh, not going to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, they've been they're They're, they're kind of mysterious and you know, we kind of, they kind of peel back who, so, so to speak. Also, you know, he also peeled back his face. Uh, the curtain on them and uh they're yeah no sorry don't i worry, agree I... wholeheartedly okay andy 
Uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's it's reintroducing the Reavers from what we learned about them in Serenity, but giving it a lot more time. Finding the, the, the junkard in space seems like quite an obvious thing to do. But the plot to this one's really quite clever because there is that question in the back of your mind, well, we've, we will see what the Reavers do to ships, spoilers, when they capture them. So why did they leave this one floating in space? But then they've left that booby trap and that tentacled booby trap that sneaks its way onto Serenity. So the idea was the Reavers are going to come back later and see if they've caught another ship for the price of one, which I thought was really clever. And the whole atmosphere, certainly of the first half, until the Alliance show up, is really quite creepy and horror movery. And then then it becomes a little bit cheesier when the Alliance starts interrogating them, and they do that thing where they cut. You think they're talking to one character when they're actually talking to another one. And that, it's cleverly edited, but I wasn't overly fond of it. But for the most part, this is a really good one, and I really enjoyed it, and Tim Mania did a good job with it. That 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 whole sequence of scenes reminded me of a of a, of a Bendis comic. To where you'll have... Yeah, where cut. the captions would be over a different character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. See, I was, I was okay with the with the interrogation scenes because uh, it, it was it was another way that they were able to develop the characterizations or develop the characters without having to spell it out. Last episode, I really came down on the idea that they had to spell out the motivations of all the characters through expository dialogue. This one, you just get, and going back to Jane. Jane's not saying anything when you guys investigating me, just sitting there with his arms crossed, drumming his fingers across his bicep. You know, uh, there's you get more out of these characters without having to have that sort of awkward dialogue that we had in the last episode. So I I, I see what you're saying about the about the interrogation scene and how it doesn't it sort of plays with the formula. But I think it it works better in expanding who these characters are from the quote-unquote original pilot or the first aired pilot. Yeah, they do a good job with it. I didn't dislike it. I just liked the first half of the episode better. Well, I, and like I said, I'm a I'm a sucker for horror movies. This had all those elements, you know, creeping around on a derelict spaceship. The it's it's powerless. You don't know what happened. You're having to search around with flashlights and everything. Uh, I thought it was very clever that when they knew that they were going to be boarded by the Alliance. You thought that they'd hide the TAMs in the – basically in the storage area where they were trying to hide all the cargo. But no, they decide to put River and Simon in space suits, space suits and put them outside the ship. And that led to a really sort of a good character moment for River as she's just ebullient. She's, she's excited about being outside in the spacesuit, and she's looking at the vastness of the stars and she's really enjoying that while Simon's there just completely terrified, terrified by it. You know, it's like, well, there was it, a good joke earlier on with um, when they first went over to the ship, they went over in suits and then uh, uh, was it Jane comes back and says, come on, we got to go back over to the ship. You know, they want you over there. And he goes on ahead, and then he, I guess, you know, uh, Simon puts on on the spacesuit and everything, and then he walks in, and they're all standing there out of their spacesuits, and they're just looking at him like, "What? What are you doing? Why are you in that?" And 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 Jane, Jane was just, you know, he got him with a practical joke, which was, you know, a nice little touch. Well, and again, it's one of those character developing things. It shows that Jane is sort of the semi likable college 
you know, jerk who likes to pull pranks on people. And it, I don't know, I guess you might be able to this early in the show, consider it as a sort of malicious prank. But I think this is one of the things that Jane probably would have done to uh, a member of the crew if he could have gotten away with it. Mm -hmm. You know, he would have done this if, if Kaylee had to come over, you know, he probably would have done it to Kaylee as well. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah, think he has I a think, soft I think spot he just for got Kaylee. That. Well, yeah. Well, maybe maybe he would have done it um, with Wash or someone. No, I, I think, think this Wash is deliberately would've... Simon because Simon Kaylee fancies Simon and and Jade has a soft spot for Kaylee. Mm-hmm. And we saw that in the pilot. Now, the problem with that is the viewers of this haven't seen the pilot yet. Yeah. If you're watching it in transmission order. But I think that was very definitely to show Kaylee that Simon's a bit of a doofus, especially as she's the one who has to point out to him. Yeah, you've got that suit on wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, Simon is able to turn it back around on uh on Jane as, you know, after the attack, you know, you said, I don't know, it was a big guy, you know, I, you know, really strong. I couldn't have taken him on. And, you know, they finally find the guy and is a scrawny little scared person. And, you know, Simon's have go, oh, yeah, he's huge. You know, look better and look bigger in the dark. So that, <laughs> he looked bigger and I couldn't see, see him. him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, this is this is the kind of dialogue and the kind of uh, character interaction that I think uh, Whedon excels at. And I know Tim Minera wrote this, but, you know, it, he's obviously going off the sort of concepts that Whedon are putting out. And I think these, you know, these two have worked a lot together, I'm assuming. Is that correct, Andy? On Angel, they worked a lot together. OK, I but I, I don't remember if Tim Minera had anything to do with Dollhouse. I don't think he did. But, you know, it's that we're getting back to developing, allowing the characters to express themselves and getting to learn more about them through who they are rather than through the expository dialogue like we did in the last episode. So this, this episode is definitely a bump up in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and just as far as Jane goes, I think, you know, the personality they've shown us is that he's kind of a big jerk bully. (laughs) And that's the kind of thing that, jerk bullies find funny mm-hmm. so I, I i don't you know i i do see what you're saying you know it it is it's focused or it's aimed specifically but i think people like that find somebody to abuse even if they don't have a motivation to do it so i, I don't think you're supposed to like him but i assume at some point he will be shown to have the you know the the rough jerk veneer and you know have a little bit more going on underneath well, I, I, again, coming from, you know, coming back to my love of Guy Gardner, you know, he is he is the personification of that. He's he's the jerk that once you get to know him and once you get to know his motivations and a little bit more about him, you get to understand him and realize that he's doing this as sort of a cover. This this isn't that there is more depth to this character than just the sort of oafish, you know, uh, muscle bound you know, bully type character. And I think, mm-hmm. and, and you are right later on in the series, there will be a, a show that specifically focuses on the character of Jane and shows what kind of a noble character he is as, as noble as Jane can get. So. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be interested in seeing that because right now I don't think there, I don't think we've really seen any, redeeming features to his character other than at the end of serenity when he backs up mal but even that he can kind of excuse away 
you know, that, that, that was based on, you know, his own, uh, <clears throat> his own mercenary, uh, ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, we're going to have to see that when we get to it and I'll be interested in, in seeing, you know, how we develop that character. And, and again, it's just, you know, it's one of the problems I have with this is just knowing how soon it's going to end. And, and I think if I had gotten hooked on this in the first season while these shows were airing, I would just have this, you know, this mindset that the show is going to be on for seven seasons and we're going to really see everything possible. But alas, is not the way to be, it's going to be. No, sadly. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good moments in this one. I love the opening to this one, where they're mm-hmm. playing that version of basketball in the, in the hold of the ship, which would presumably make the ship stink with all that sweat that's going on, which they've clearly not thought through, because I don't think I'd want to live on a stinky spaceship. I'm sure they got air scrubbers or something. Yeah. They got an air conditioning unit. They call yeah. you to fix it. <laughs> yes, I've had to fix my AC twice this week. <laughs> so you're I hear it's best just to leave it running. Yeah. I hear it's best just to leave it running, even if it's not working, that that works out well. Yes, you've been talking um, to your ex-wife? <laughs> Maybe. I like... I like it. I like the middle bit where Mal realizes what's going on, but doesn't tell his crew. Yeah. So he keeps the the lesser able members of the crew busy, while he and Zoe and Jane and Kaylee go and do what needs to be done, i.e., unhooking the booby trap, because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to unduly worry them. And he never tells them about that, which I thought was a really nice touch. He just tosses it away. Was thought there was going to be a situation. Turned out fine. Did- and he never tells them. Did I miss something about how exactly did she get to that booby trap to disconnect it? Had it punctured the ship or maybe I just zoned out for a minute? Essentially, there were some sort of tubes that came from that ship that attached the ship. So she had to cut some sort of and again, it goes back to this sort of weird uh, Hellraiser uh, yeah, because she uh, cut it and it looked like blood was in it. Exactly. Well, blood or sort of, you know, hydraulic biscuit fluid. Tied, like hydraulic fluid. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it also goes to that thing. She, it looks like she's cutting a vein or cutting an artery to allow it to. Yeah, because it looked drain. like a skeletal arm. Mm hmm. And then she nicked like a. Uh, it looked like a skeletal arm with barbed wire around it. And then she nicked a vein and then it, it bled red and then it extracted itself from the ship. Yeah, so again, you know, with the whole idea of body horror and the 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 spookier elements of it. So, which which like I said, I really enjoy. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, no, no, that's that's what the, the the first half of the episode is is the better half of the episode. And mm-hmm. then the alliance show up crewed by the guy from Desperate Housewives. Or or Melrose Place. Or Melrose oh, Place. Is that I where he's from? I don't remember who he was married to. I thought he was on one of those pretty people shows. See, thank Thank God I've never watched either of those shows. I couldn't <laughs> tell you where he came from. Um, again, they're all wearing the Starship Troopers uniforms. <laughs> now, are, are the are the are the Alliance uniforms, the military uniforms, the same things that they're? Because I could definitely tell that the that like the military grunt uniforms were very similar to the Starship Trooper form, but but the actual like dress uniforms are Starship Troopers as well. They look similar mm. to what Neil Patrick Harris is wearing, but I don't. I don't think they are. I, I think, think that they might be form. modified a bit, but yeah. they do look very similar. Because we don't see enough of them, really. There's only one or two officers that we actually see, mm-hmm. which is fine. And then it it just kind of plays out as you would expect from that point. That we don't know where he's put River and Simon, 
until we learn that they're outside the ship. And it's just full of nice little quiet character moments. This is a, a slower, not slower, it's not a slower episode. It's it's dialed it down a notch. We're not being bashed over the face with how clever the dialogue is in this one. It's a much more somber approach to the episode. And we get to see just how smart Mal is. And it, that he's just as clever when he's not wielding a gun. When he's, when he's dealing with the Alliance, he, he, he looks like he's acquiescing to them. But in fact, he isn't. He's proper rebellious throughout every confrontation he has with them. And you can see that Doug Savant, who's the captain of the Alliance vessel, you can see that he keeps eyeing Mal up in that, are you, being, are you really being as subservient <laughs> to me as I, I think you should be? Or are you, are you being a smart ass? And he can't quite tell how he's playing it. And I think Fillion nails that. I agree with you on that. I think I thought that was played pretty well and, you know, more realistic than it could have been. It could have come up much more cliche. Yeah, because my problem with, with scenes like that where the lead character is always a bit insolent to the people in charge because it's supposed to emphasize his rebellious and independent nature is that at some point they could just say, all right, chuck him in the brig and that would just end it there and then. But Fillion plays it so well that you, he doesn't actually tip over into being completely disrespectful to him. And there's that brilliant bit where he's telling him that they're looking for a brother and sister, and quick as a flash, he says, no kids on this boat, which <laughs> really sells the idea that he doesn't genuinely know what he's talking about. He thought he's talking about children. Again, playing into how smart Mal is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he, he has the capability of being snarky, but not being offensively snarky. He's He's wording the things that he's trying to deliver to this person to give him the perception that he doesn't know what he's talking about when in the very when at the very most he does know exactly everything he's talking about and he's being evasive and he plays it so subtly that you can't necessarily especially the the commander can't necessarily determine whether or not he's being evasive so uh, yeah the, the it's a really great performance by by mal in the, in the lead here but most of the time, it's it's interesting. We will go back to the Reavers later on. What's fascinating about this one is the guy that they rescue is so damaged by what they found, he turns himself into a Reaver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the aspect of it that I don't know. It almost just sounded too simple to me. Well, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I take that well, origin. It, uh, well, he was, you know, the... He was traumatized, and he, I guess he was in hiding the whole time and was watching what was going on and couldn't act on it. So, I mean... Well, what I, what I kind of go to is... It that, does happen kind of fast, I will say that. And, and what, what I kind of think is, like, everybody reacts to trauma differently. And, and this is almost setting up, if you're exposed to trauma, this is what's going to happen to you. And, and I, I don't know if that seems realistic to me. Well, it, see, we will learn. We don't want to spoil it for you too much about what we do learn about the Reavers. That doesn't, it doesn't quite jibe up with this when we get to the movie. But the whole subtext of the film is civilization. What counts as civilized out here on the frontier? And he obviously doesn't feel that he has anything left to live for. And maybe he's seen that the Reavers' way of life, just take what you want, is perfectly acceptable. And he's obviously insane. He's obviously been driven mad by what he's seen. 
and I like that we've not seen a lot of the Reavers to know what it is he's seen. All we know is that Big Tough Jane is terrified of them. Mm-hmm. I would and look that at... shows us that we should be terrified of them. I mean, it's like a very severe form of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. It's, and, and again, like that makes sense if you say that's what happened to this person. But they're basically saying that's what happened to every one of them, unless I'm missing something. And again, maybe no. as we what? as you we get all the people episodes. that were killed, no, no, the people that were killed were killed we're... by the Reavers specifically because that's what the Reavers do. No, but so... I'm, I'm talking about the people or the beings who become Reavers. Well, it's basically you... saying they're they're all reacting to this uh, trauma the same way, and that's what I'm kind of having a tough time acclimating myself to because. Uh, you know, if you watch anything well, with, with, with you know, uh, psychological overlays, you know, everybody reacts to trauma differently. I mean, I think Maul just guessed that because he knew that. Well, because Am I oversimplifying. No, 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 no. I mean, early on, they say that, you know, people went to the edge of the space to the edge of space and they went insane. And that's how the Reavers were formed. Um, so you could say that this guy saw the edge, saw these reavers and it was too much for him to handle. And he went insane and Maul knew he had become a reaver because when the guy does the report saying that his tongue was slit and you guys tortured him and he's like, no, we didn't. That's when he realizes this guy has turned into a reaver. He didn't know. Although I guess you could say he does kind of suspect that or he keeps his distance from him because he doesn't know um what this guy's gonna do in you know when they lock him in the med bay and he and he mutilates himself well and that's the thing when when they initially take him to the med bay he's spouting these sort of crazy things right about, well you yeah. know, everyone killing him and mal gets that look and sees out the window he sees kaylee and anara and he realizes this yeah. guy is a threat so whether or not that he realizes that it was specifically reavers that attacked them or what he mm-hmm. you know it's 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 obvious that the it's obviously that this it's obvious that this guy is a threat and that he needs to be contained and you know again it's it's disappointing that you don't you haven't seen this Paul because you know when you know what actually happens to create the reavers it, this might make a bit more sense it's not just it's not just that they were alone in space and saw the emptiness and the vastness of it and went insane. There's there's a bit more to it once you get, you know, towards the end of the series. Only one note on the costume and I was just browsing through the Firefly official companion. The spacesuits are ripped off from the Kurt Russell film Soldier. <laughs> so that that's wow. two science fiction films they've nicked the costumes from, largely because they just didn't have the budget to build their own. Yeah. You take what you can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't have anything else. Did anyone else have anything that they want to comment on the show? No, only only the 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 just the joy on River's face as she's out in space, as uh, Simon's desperately trying to not throw up in his space helmet, <laughs> was was delightful. And we're finally getting to like River a little bit because of all the characters, she's the she's the wild card. Yeah, we she's don't quite know how she's going to react in any situation. She's well, the most underdeveloped of the of the cast so far and with reason because she's the the central plank that the plot's following although we haven't really seen a lot of her since the pilot mm-hmm. but even here we see things that will pay off in the movie some of her behavior that she yeah. knew where those people were on the ship and pointed mm-hmm. them out to them 
So, which was, you know, we we can't spoil it for our co-host. Yeah, well, and, it, you know, I hate to say it. If people are murdered and hanging upside down, despite however they've been chained up or tied up or whatever, eventually you're going to notice. There, there's just things that happen. Never look not... up. Always look down. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just going to say that there are things that happen, you know, after you die. Well, not, that... not if they, like, sucked all the, you know. Well, you know, if they. If all they... the blood out and all the body fluids yeah, and things like they... that. What desanguinated them? Maybe yeah. is that it? Yeah, yeah, possibly, but still, S- sippy cup straw or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, going back to Event Horizon and Hellraiser. <sighs> Sorry, Bill. All right, go ahead. Uh, ratings? Are we good? All right, I guess yep. this is my show, so I'll uh, I'll lead us off here. Uh, I gave the train job a three, and I gave Serenity a. Five. Hmm. If I mishmash those two together and divide by two. Yep, that's it. I'm giving this a four. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was a solid episode. I thought it set up a credible threat. I thought there were good character moments. I thought the acting was very strong. Uh, I, I just liked it. And it does some world building, which is something we've talked about a lot in Listen to the Prophets. And, and I like that. I just, you know, I, I feel like I'm overly melancholy about the, the series in general because I'm seeing the potential and I'm seeing what was there and, and knowing what's, what's to become of it just makes me sad. Andy? Uh, yeah, I'm in total agreement with Paul. I'm on, I'm on four shiny dinosaurs for this one as well. It's a solid episode. It calms itself down a bit because it's not, it's not as interested with impressing the audience as the pilot and the train job had to be. And it's it's a proper 45-minute episode instead of having to cram everything in like the train job had to and being an expanded episode like Serenity was. And it does an excellent job of building the, the universe in which the crew live in. We get a bit more about the Alliance in this one. Like I said last time, they're not bad guys. They're just the government. So they may be the bad guys, who can say? And it's it's able to take its time a little bit more with the story. And I think that benefits immeasurably. But we also get to see a little bit more about River and identify with her a bit. We get Mal's magnificent relationship with his crew and just how smart the guy is when he needs to be. And it's it's a great it's a, a really good episode. Mm-hmm. Even with the Kurt Russell costumes. Oh, poor Kurt Russell. <laughs> He, he he expected Soldier would be his, you know, jumping back on point, but it didn't happen to be. Uh, yeah, I'm giving this a four as well. This was a really excellent episode. I Like I said at the beginning, I'm a sucker for horror-themed shows. Uh, this this has all that. The first part is a, you know, a mystery in space, sort of haunted house type thing. You've got the sort of body horror going on with the person who was left alive on the ship eventually starting to mutilate himself the, uh, again yes the uh, the second half of the show with the bureaucracy of dealing with the alliance and the captain really didn't add that much aside from allowing the characters of the serenity crew to sort of actually develop a bit more but i think on the strength of the initial opening part of the show the horror element this is uh a really good episode, and I'm going to give it a four. Four shiny, happy dinosaurs. Well, they're not happy, but they're shiny. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it eight scary, blood-covered velociraptors, which would give it a four. 
because of a, a velociraptor is a 0. 0.5. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're going to join me in the I hate Bill Club? <laughs> I'm right that's good. That's, join us for our new podcast, <laughs> I Hate Bill. <laughs> I've got nothing to add because you all have already said it so eloquently and I'm getting tired and slurring my speech. Don't worry. You know, I, I notice when ep- when editing these episodes, every odd-numbered episode, I think, or whatever the second episode that I edit, I start rambling as well. So I, I feel your pain, Bill. See, that's that's because you guys bring your B game to the show. I bring my A game, and I start rambling right from the start. Awesome. <laughs> that's just the age, man. What do we got next time, Andy? Next time on an all-new episode of Keep Flying. Isn't it time that we all went to a nice little shindig? Yes, it is. It'll With be a interesting touch of to see, uh, and a little bit of nanny. Be interesting to see what's happened to Jimmy O'Neill since 1964. I, you got to add the crickets there. Because yep. there, was a t- there was a TV series <laughs> shindig hosted by Jimmy O'Neill where they played rock music in 1964. Right. What is See, this rock music you say of? That that's before our time, Paul. <laughs> that's the devil's Bill, play. <laughs> just out of curiosity, I looked it up, and Bill will be interesting to know that Jimmy O'Neill, who hosted that show, died in 2013 of the diabetes. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, just keep drinking the the diet Mountain Dew. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, my body won't get all those mixed signals from the fake sugar. No. No, not at all. Okay, well, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Keep them flying. A Firefly podcast is a two true freaks presentation and is hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the tutufreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying.